lose a bet, okay? I've had people, you'll understand a little bit later, and, I, and all I see is Patriot symbols on this shirt. I don't know about what you see, but that's about all I see on it, so <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh, we see what we want to see, don't we? That's another message. But it is good, good to be alive when you found your hallelujah. We've been talking about that for the last six weeks or so. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about how or what happens when a sure thing turns out to be not a sure thing. When you expect something to unfold a certain way, and it doesn't unfold that way. Uh, when we have, are trying to have certainty in an uncertain world. And sometimes we lean into something, and that's that idea of meaningless vapor, vanity, we lean into something and it doesn't actually support the weight of our lives. We trust in it, we're certain on it, and it isn't something that uh, carries us through. And when we do that, we find it's almost like uh, we're standing on a rug and someone pulls it out from under us because that certainty just doesn't uh, carry us. A couple of years ago, I was quite certain of something that was going to turn out. I was very confident, and uh, I'm still picking up the pieces of my heart, broken heart, uh, even today. I was blindsided. I, I was just absolutely certain. And I placed my certainty in this event, and, and I, just, I just expected it to come the way I wanted it to come out and turn out. And uh, people were uh, a little bit divided, some in my circle, very few were, uh, were, were on the same page with me, but a lot of others were not on the same page with me. And uh, it, was just, it was just a real, it was a real uh, sadness for me. I mean, this, this gripped our nation. And on the eve of February 3rd, 2018, this is the way this was depicted. 1775. American colonists in New England are in open revolt against their British overlords. In Philadelphia, representatives of each colony meet to address the crisis. Order! 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 We must declare ourselves an independent nation. And fight the British army? We cannot win, sir! Glorious news from Boston! It seems the New Englanders have won an astounding victory over the British at a place called Bunker Hill. Oh. I, I don't understand. Is this not welcome news? No, it is. It's just that now we have to hear the boasting from the patriots of New England. Yeah. Do we even know how 
recognize that New England wins battles, but must they be so obnoxious about it? Dreadfully annoying. Frankly, I'm willing to lose this whole war if it means not seeing them win again. <laughs> well, I for one applaud you New England patriots on your many victories. What's all? Many, many victories? Try five, boss. Five. Yeah, we won them all. French and Indian War. Won it. King Philip's War. Killed Ooh. it. Lexington conquered. Crushed it. And now Bunker Hill. The oh. best one yet, kid. He's got like the best cannon. And boom, we come back like we always do. Wicked sick, wicked. Wonderful. It's always lovely to hear another story about Thomas Brady. Ah, the delegation from Philadelphia. Yeah, how he's doing? We crossed many waters up the Schuylkill River to give all you a message. Philly's mad strong. From the little babies to all our mom-moms and pop-pops, we's ready to fight. Yeah. We'll whip a horseshoe at their head and send the British home. Because yeah, Philly's going to win, and then one of these guys is going to punch a police horse. Yeah, we's a bunch of rowdy Quakers. I admire your spirit, Philadelphia, but you don't exactly have a history of winning battles like New England does. Yeah, well, that was then. This is now, okay? Call us the Eagles, because we're ready to fly. Fly, Eagles, fly. The Eagles? Yeah, and like Eagles, we Philadelphians are swift, we are deadly, and our eyes are all a little too close together. Yeah, and we got the best food. Yeah, hand me that, Charlie, hand me that. I brought venison hoagies, porridge stuffed peppers, and corn fritters from Wawa. <laughs> Delphia, please, you got no chance, kid. Yeah, let New England handle this. Go home, New England. Yeah, and can I tell you something about your precious captain, Thomas Brady? He's old, okay? He's like 40. That's four years past life expectancy. Patriots of New England, you have truly achieved remarkable success. But I believe I speak for this entire chamber when I say, just shut up. <laughs> shut up! Yes, you have won in the past, but by no means does that guarantee future victory. And Philadelphians, you are overdue for victory, and I wish you all the best in your upcoming battle. But if you do win, please, be cool. Okay, just because the British don't burn your city doesn't mean you have to. <laughs> Brings a little tear to my eye. And Pat in the sound booth side, too, but... Uh... You know, expectations, certainties. Of course, we can laugh about that, and the Patriots did lose to the Eagles. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, we can be certain of things. And in that arena, not a big deal. But in the other arenas of our life where we are just leaning on to something, what do we do with that? How do we uh, navigate the waters of having certainty in an uncertain world and still enjoy life. How do we do that? How do we walk through that? We've been walking through Ecclesiastes for a long time now, and we see Solomon's personal journal, God-inspired, and he expresses a number of things that we feel within our hearts that we face, and one of those things in chapter 9 is this, how do you deal with uncertainty uh, in a world that just seems to be just rolling and rocking every which way. And how can you not let that 
certainty or uncertainty in your world destroy your life, the ability to enjoy it. So if you would uh, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1, you can find that in that rack Bible around you on page 465. If you don't happen to have a personal paper copy of the Bible and you want one, please feel free to take that Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, we encourage you to uh, downline, download version. Uh, for a Bible app, it's free. Uh, you can put that on your smartphone, any of your devices, and then you can have uh, God's Word wherever you go, wherever your phone is, wherever your tablet is, it is with you. So encourage you to do that. So Ecclesiastes 9, uh, verse 1, again, as we start to look at this idea of how do we have certainty in an uncertain world. Solomon writes, So I reflected on all of this, and concluded that the righteous and wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. And really, we've all been there. And it doesn't matter if you're a convinced Christ follower or an unconvinced Christ not a Christ follower, just unconvinced. All of us experience this where we see the, the right person doing it the right way and the wise person getting the rug pulled out from underneath them. Uh, it looks like it should be certain, a certain win, and, and it doesn't go that way. And then we've seen situations where the person that uh, isn't really doing things right, isn't really that wise with their choices, and yet they seem to be untouched by the difficulties in life. Solomon observes this. He's in the later years of his life, and he's looking at it, and he's saying, I see the righteous and the wise, and I see others, and, and you just don't know. We could take the look at the story of Job, and we would see that his family, his world is, is just devastated. And if we measured how he was, quote-unquote, behaving or living or whatever you want to call it, we would say he should have gotten a, a, a pass from all that heartache. But he doesn't. And likewise, we see people in the scriptures that uh, were doing it all wrong. We could look at Ahab, the king. Uh, you know, for the most of his life, he, he was, you know, shaking his fist at God. He was actively trying to go in a different direction face him, against him, and yet seemed, life seems to go, go fine, go good for him. So, so how, do we, how do we deal with that in, in our lives? How do we deal with the uncertainty of life? It seems like th there are no guarantees. Uh, some of us uh, have woken up this morning and, and heard about the, the plane crash in Hawaii. Nine lives gone like that. Probably most of them on vacation there. I heard about the, the motorcycle accident tragedy in New Hampshire. Seven people gone. How does that happen? How is, there, how is there just an uncertainty to our lives? And we don't know those people, but uh, we imagine how, how, does, how does that unfold that way? And Solomon is wrestling with this because it's heavy on his heart. Then he goes a little farther and goes on and says, All share a common destiny the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. 
As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. You know, what's going on? He's starting to lead into this. Even if you live your life well, all of us are destined to have our life end. We all will die someday. And so a good person, a bad person, it doesn't matter. This, so, so, so how does this all work out? We have this common destiny, the good and the bad. How does that, how does that shake out? How do, we, how do we wrestle with that? How do we come to terms with that? You know, there are these stories, there are these situations where we see the good, it goes good for them. But again, there's times where the good experience lots of bad, and in a sense, the bad experience lots of good. And as a people of faith, how do we deal with that? A little bit last week, we talked about injustice and unfairness, and this, these ideas kind of blend together. How do, we, how do we come to terms with that? How do we navigate life? How do we live a good life or enjoy life in spite of that uncertainty? How do we walk through that? In times like this, usually when we're trying to deal with this, especially those of us who are Christ followers, a lot of us pull up this Romans verse, and, uh, and it's, it goes like this. I like how Eugene Peterson translates it. He says, that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives in our lives of love for God, is worked into something good. And it's a great verse. It's a great thought. Unless you're the one experiencing the thing that's horrible, that's difficult. Probably not the best verse to, to throw out there in the first conversation. So how do we deal with that? How do we hold on to something like this? How do we say, wow, every detail of my life earlier on is in God's hands? How does that work? How does he take something that's horrible and actually even do anything good with it in our life? How does, how does that even work? Solomon's identifying with that. As we say often, it's sometimes these kind of answers may eventually start to make sense in our head, but they never feel good in our heart. They're not emotionally satisfying. And then some of us are people of faith and good intentions, but when we communicate these ideas, uh, we kind of like, like sugarcoat it. And we, and we don't leave the question out there. It's okay for a person of faith to have questions. It's okay for a person of faith to wonder why. Every time something difficult happens into your life, you, know, it, you don't have to have a smile on your, on your face. So how do we deal with that uncertainty? Because we see it all over the place. We see it all over the place. Yet Paul writing to the people in Rome who were living with a bad emperor and all kinds of things says we can be confident that the details of our lives, these situations, when we are trying to move in the direction of God, when we're trying to point to him, when we're trying to walk in a way according to his ways, somehow works into something good. And some of us will find ourselves, we live our whole lives and can't really put a finger on it. Some of us, when we cross over and begin that second chapter of life, the lights will go on and we'll get it. 
And then sometimes I, I wonder, and, and maybe this sounds terrible to you, I wonder if we, we really ever will, again, be totally, totally satisfied. We may see the world in a bigger picture, and we finally goes on, but it's still going to have a heaviness when we remember that action that we went through. Moving on to verse 29, it says, God knew that he, what he was doing from the very beginning. This, to me, gives a little more meaning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. So this gives me a little insight when I think of what Jesus went through. And if anyone was, should have been insulated for cause and effect in a negative way in their life, it would be Jesus. Yet Jesus experiences some horrendous things ultimately leading up to his death on the cross. And uh, Paul says that our lives have some parallels to that. Sometimes the things that happen in our life, the uncertainty and when it unfolds, those things actually are shaping us in a certain way. And so again, we try to understand that intellectually and try to work it into our hearts at some level. And all of us could share stories, share accounts where, where we get it in our head. And again, we try to keep it in our hearts. And the minute it gets in there, it starts drifting out. See, the sun stands first in the line of humanity restored. We see the original intended shape of our lives there in him. So as we move along and start to think about this, we talked about how do we function in an uncertain world with certainty? How do we do that? In verse 10, about halfway through 9, he says this, Solomon says, whatever turns up, grab it and do it. And heartily, this is your last and only chance at it. For there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you most certainly are headed. Now, when we read a passage like that, we think in light of the New Testament. We think in light of heaven. But as Solomon is writing this, he's thinking about this chapter in life. And there's got to be this reality where we understand that in this chapter of life, it does end at some point. The chapter one of our life, the first part of life can't be rewritten. It's, in a sense, sealed. So this idea of how to live, uh, certainly, in an uncertain world and how to enjoy life gets tied into this idea of using our life well. We talk about leveraging our life because we only have so many days. We only have so much time. And there will be a moment where we don't, in a sense, get a do-over. There won't be an instant replay on the big screen, and all of a sudden they reset the play and do it all over again. And good, bad, whatever, we're all headed that way. That's some certainty, that this chapter of life will someday be over, and then there'll be the next chapter of life. So how do we respond to that? How do we work through? How do we process through? And I think our response is an ongoing response. It isn't something you digest, check it off your list, and then you never look back. At least in my life, I'm always having to remind myself of these ideas. 
and re-grab a hold of them in different ways and different intensities as life unfolds. So there's three responses we're going to look to, to understanding or three responses to our uncertainty in life. The first response won't be a big surprise, uh, is that we escape it. We, we self-medicate. We, we, are in, we get involved in things that, in a sense, dull the pain, uh, make it easier. Uh, we live in a world full of addiction and full of people taking something that could be very good many times and overusing it, and it's all designed to escape. The opioid crisis we're dealing with in our country, some of that is escape. I don't feel good physically. I find out that this makes me feel better physically and emotionally. Uh, the physical part dissipates, but the emotional part doesn't. And now I continue on in this track to take care of things emotionally. And now we're, we're in trouble. Uh, alcohol. Nice little uh, drink or whatever. And all of a sudden, you find that that makes you feel a certain way, makes you feel better, and what was socially now, now becomes an escape mechanism. Eating too much. Oh, oh. oh that's a little too close to home now. But, uh, you know, I don't feel great emotionally. It's been a hard day. I need to reward myself with a pint or two of Ben and Jerry's <laughs> pumpkin cheesecake. And you still medicate. Believe it or not, there are some people that self-medicate with exercise. Can't figure that one out, but they, they, that's, that, they do that. Self-medicate with spending too much money. They feel down, so they go shopping, buy something, and for a little while, they feel better about life. So one of the responses to this uncertainty is that we try to escape life, and we try to uh, do these things that, that, that distract us. And what's so hard about this is there, there's a line where, where some of those activities are fine, and then those activities go too far. And that's why those of us who are Christ followers need to stay close and tight to him. Because the way you can have that little detector in your life, whether you're escaping life or enjoying life, comes through being alive to God, comes through letting his spirit guide our lives and speak to our hearts. So sometimes it's okay to get that second bowl of ice cream. Hey, it's the summer, it's, you know, whatever. Other times, it's totally an escape. It's self-medicating. In verse 3, we read this. There is evil in everything that happens under the sun. Sometimes something good becomes evil because it's overplayed, overdone. The same destiny overtakes us all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their heart. Now, that may seem a little strong to say our hearts are full of evil. But I see it in my heart every once in a while. Where did that come from? Where did that idea come from? Where did that unkindness come from? Where did that comment, where did that thought 
It's in there. There are still dark places in my heart. Probably I'm the only one in this room, but uh, so this message is for me. But, uh, you know, there is still evil in there. There's sin, there's disobedience, whatever you want to call it. So there's madness in our hearts, and the way we try to, again, try to deal with all this is we escape while they live, and afterward, they join the dead. You know, when I think about escaping and uh, when I think about whether I'm using a delicious snack like some nachos with Paul Newman's, a little guac and a little other things, and I'm using that as an escape, I have to remind myself those things are great, but where's that line? And then I have to remind myself that God is my escape. God is my fortress. Some people look at that and go, oh, that's a crutch. Maybe, but I need God in my life. I need to run to him rather than run to a second bowl of something or another drink or an extra pill or whatever. I love what Psalms writes, and I I read this this week, and it just struck me. I said, I need to throw this in there and show. It says, in you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In other words, Lord, as I run to you as refuge, let others see that you are enough. Sometimes my life, by escaping, says, God, you aren't enough. Whenever I say, if this happened, if that happened, if only this, that's me saying, God, you're not enough. And Peter, we could look at, Peter says, we have enough for this spiritual life we have, for this life we have totally. So I put him to shame when I say, you know, God, you're pretty good stuff. You're pretty great, but you're not satisfying enough to take the edge off this uncertainty that I'm processing through. You see, in your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. And that deliver me isn't just an external deliverance. It starts inside. Sometimes the external situations just continue on, but I'm still delivered because he does something inside. Turn your ear to me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. I can always go. That rock, that fortress. So we have to ask ourselves, when we're dealing with the uncertainty of life, all of us cope with it a little differently. It's there. You can't can't package it so there's no uncertainty. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people and vice versa. It's it's just crazy. We don't understand it. What do you do? Do we escape? Or do we enjoy by leaning into him? We will find that all those escape mechanisms will not carry the day. Maybe for a little while, but they won't carry the day and most of the time they come back to bite us and put us in a worse place of hurt than when we started so that's one response another response is is to just endure it 
a little more noble. Maybe we feel pretty good about this. I'm just going to tough it out. I'm going to endure it. I'm just going to move through it. I'm just going to hold it together. I'm not going to enjoy life. I'm just enduring it. And sometimes we meet people like that. Sometimes we're that people. We're, 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 just, we're not going to self-medicate, but we're going to just endure it. We're going to wear our difficulties as a badge of honor and just tough it up and you know, be self-made and just endure it. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. Now, you got to remember, in this culture, dogs were not good. Dogs, so if you love dogs, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not much of a dog lover. But, but if, if, you, if you love dogs, they, they were dirty, unclean animals. You didn't want to be a dog. But Solomon says, you'd rather be a live dog than a dead lion. And a lion demonstrated nobility and all of that. They refer to Jesus as the Lion of Judah and all that imagery. And what he's saying is, you know, it's, it's better to be alive because there's still hope. So we can endure, but we want to move farther along than that. For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. And again, this is imagery, not thinking about New Testament. This is thinking about just life under the sun, not in relationship to God. This is when, that, when this chapter of life is over, you cannot write any more to the story. The story's over. The There's not one more line. You ever watch, uh, I hate watching this show. Where is she? There she is, Cindy. Uh, <laughs> What is that iron chef? What are, there's like a million of them, right? And you know they got the clock going tick 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 tick. You know, and 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 at the end they got to stop. There's no more sprinkling salt on. There's no more whatever. It is over. And if you you just it's over. And the same is true with the dish of this life, if you will. When this chapter's over, it's over. You can't keep it in the oven a little bit longer. You can't add a little this or that or whatever you do. Uh, it's, it's, it's done. And so we have to understand that. And we can have still hope. And we want that, not that endurance of life just to live, stay there. We want it to move on. He goes on in verse 6 to say, Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again. Will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun? And that, again, is that idea of the chapter, the first chapter of life is over. It's over. You can't add lines to it. And, you know, we let a lot of things get in the way of writing this chapter of life that we're in. There's lots of things. Sometimes a comparison is, is just a part of that. We, we look at somebody else's life, and they seem to be doing it better, having it better, and it steals our joy. And what's interesting is a lot of times when you're thinking that, if you could actually get into their life, you would find out that their life isn't as sweet as you think it is. Or you'd find that they've had to go through a lot of things to get to that place. And you, myself, I wouldn't want to go through those things to get to that place. You know, we, we comparison, we're, we're not satisfied. We don't, in a sense, enjoy the moment. I don't know if you saw this little uh, 
not, it's not a video, but this little uh, snapshot on, on online this week and the last couple weeks. But, uh, whoops, Many people one. do not understand. That's, I thought that was going to be something else. But uh, anyway, we will bump right along there. <laughs> it's later on in the sermon. All right. Uh, I love what uh, Thomas Merton says about this. He says when he talks about trying to move past enduring, trying to look at life, trying to, trying to uh, deal with uncertainty, trying to take joy from life. This is what he says. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following you, your will, does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope that I have the desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I'll never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. And so that idea of moving in that direction, moving past enduring, moving into the place where we can endure line. And I'll, I'll put this on Facebook later on today if you want that quote. But the other way to respond is to enjoy life. And if we enjoy life, it begins with, this is great that Solomon's so honest about this, but it begins with this idea of just enjoy your meals. Just enjoy your meals. Today, all of us probably are going to have a really good meal. Maybe it's after church. Maybe it's this evening. Maybe we get some little treat. Maybe it'll be ice cream. Enjoy your meals. Again, don't let it go too far so it's uh, self-medicating, if you will, but enjoy your meals. This is what Solomon says. He says, seize life, eat bread with gusto. Man, I can do that. He didn't put add butter to it, but I can eat bread with gusto. Enjoy it. Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh, yes, take God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Some of us may need to underline that and circle that because some of us think God takes pleasure away. But actually, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. God loves it when you're fully engaged in enjoying life. When you're enjoying being human, he loves it. So as you think about all the things that make you human, all the simple pleasures, all the just the life, he enjoys it when we enjoy it. So we need to enjoy our meals. And that little line, God takes pleasure in your pleasure, continues on through the rest of uh, this idea of enjoying life. Um, enjoy your moments. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. What in the world does that mean? It's the idea as life is coming your way, celebrate life. Slow down and enjoy it. Always be ready to celebrate those moments because you and I don't know when that's going to change. You don't know when that's going to stop. We don't know when a moment that's wonderful isn't going to be a wonderful moment anymore. We don't know when our life is going to be over. We don't know any of these things. So Solomon's saying, 
enjoy life, enjoy the moments, and be all ready to go. Squeeze as much out of those moments. Be fully engaged, thoroughly enjoying it. He also talks about this idea about enjoying your marriage, enjoying your relationships. First part about nine says this. It says, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. For some of us, enjoying our spouse isn't there. We tolerate our spouse. Or they, and they tolerate us. Solomon says, life is too short. Life is too uncertain. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. When was the last time you enjoyed life with your spouse? When was the last time? I mean, really, is it a normal part of the rhythm of your lives? And I know in a moment like this, there's some of us out here that don't have a spouse. Maybe we lost our spouse. Maybe we've not been married. Maybe uh, to death, uh, to, to just a disaster, and now we're not married anymore, whatever that may be. So, so, so I, I get that, and I, and I, and I, and I hurt for that. Uh, that, that. That's hard stuff. But that also speaks to the times you can think about where you had the opportunities to enjoy your spouse. And you could say, you could come up here and talk, you know, I didn't know how quick, how soon our life would be over. Um, I can't remember her name, and I can't pronounce her name, but uh, some of us are aware of that Olympic uh, runner this year, this, just this week, uh, 32 years old, who, who uh, lost her life, cancer. And her husband uh, writes, basically, yes, this is a heartbreak, but I would have rather lived the last X amount of years with my wife and had that than not have had that to save the pain I'm experiencing right now. You see, he's saying, enjoy your spouse while you have the spouse. And uh, for those of us who are in that place that are looking for that day, I, I've have, I have friends that are close that uh, still haven't found that person or there was a breakup in their marriage and now they're hoping for a new chapter in that area. And, and I love what Andy Stanley says. He says this, and I've said this to, to refer them to this, are you who the person you are looking for is looking for? So sometimes people, when they're in that place of limbo, they feel uh, they just kind of stall out. In my recommendation, I was talking with someone, actually a relative of mine, and they saw someone that they were attracted to, and they were in the market, if you will. And uh, I said, I said, but the, but the problem is, and you're going to say, wow, Dave, you are mean. I said, the, the problem is you really like that person, but you're not that, the kind of person that that person will like. Because you're not, and, 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 and they didn't hang up on me. They, they said, you're right. So you need to grow and become the person that uh, would li you like would like. And so you may not have anybody on the horizon or anything like that, but you need to invest yourself in being all that God wants you to be. And so when that happens, you're in that place and you're ready. The message uh, renders this verse this way. It says, relish life with your spouse. You love each and every day of your precarious life, vulnerable life, short life, uncertain life. Each day is God's gift. 
It's all you get in exchange for the hard working work of staying alive. Most, make the most of each one. And that is the idea of enjoying life. Getting the idea that we relish life with our spouse and we make the most of every time. And uh, especially I've been reading this and, and just been aware of this. There are times where, where and this sounds very noble, but it's not that noble, where, I, where I, all of a sudden it comes to my heart, man, I, I, need to, I need to go the extra mile in this situation with Cindy. I need to do the extra thing. Because I don't know, there may be a day where I can't do this. There may be a day where I can't send her flowers. There may be a day where I can't empty the dishwasher. <laughs> but uh, there may be a day I can't make the bed. Boy, I sound so wonderful. Vacuum. No, I don't really vacuum. But, but uh, there may be a day. And so that reminds me when I'm coming to the end of really how much I want to give away. Let's be honest. I go, wait a minute. I don't know how many times I'll be able to do this, so I'm going to go the next mile because I may not have the opportunity to do that again. Uh, again, each day is God's gift. Enjoy it. Seize the day. Make the most of everyone. Also, there's this idea of enjoying your work. If you're going to enjoy life, enjoy work. Uh, you could be retired and still enjoy work. It could be the purpose of your life. It could be what you're still on the planet for. You enjoy that. You, en you embrace that. Um, and sometimes it's not the work itself, but it's how you do the work. You may say, I don't like doing this. I hate my job. I don't enjoy my work. I don't enjoy what I kind of do. So then you say, well, I don't really like what I do, but I can like how I do it. And I've met a lot of people that don't like their job, but the way they do their job causes a great enjoyment for them and a great enjoyment for those around them. And actually, the around them part grows and grows and grows, so they don't necessarily like the mechanics of their job but they really like how they can be in that arena, be in that place, and enjoy other people and make a difference in other people's lives so they enjoy their work because it opens the door, opens the avenue for them to be involved and use their life well. Sometimes you've experienced that. Sometimes you come alongside somebody and you're doing kind of the worst job out there or just boring and all of a sudden, you're working side by side to someone, and you have some of the best conversations ever. Don't enjoy the job, but you enjoy how you do it. Whatever your hand fits, finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. This idea of, again, enjoying your work and trying to figure out how to do that, how to bring meaning into it, no matter what it is, no matter how it functions. And the idea with this is this, that, that God takes pleasure in what we do and in the simple things. Do you remember the, the movie Chariots of Fire? Some of you do? 
I remember it was 1983 when I got an opportunity to see it, and there was a lot of fanfare around this movie. And if I have to be honest with you, I really didn't like it. It was boring. But I hear people go, yeah, that's the best movie ever. But, you know, there wasn't really too many explosions and those kinds of things going on there. But there is this famous line that's lasted longer. And I'll, I'll just show it to you. He's in a dilemma about where, where, how about his running and why he's giving time and energy towards it. If you know about Eric Little, he, his ultimate goal was to be a missionary in China. And this was kind of getting in the way of that a little bit, according to his sister, Jenny. And he's trying to reconcile that and trying to figure that out. If you know, don't know the rest of the story, Eric uh, Little actually dies in a prisoner of war camp in China under the hands of the Japanese. And uh, he, he gives his life for that. Most of us don't know that ending of his life. But uh, this is he's discussing running and all of this thing. He ends up winning an Olympic medal. But this is what he says to his sister. Well, I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. And this isn't to put a guilt trip on any of us. But when you're doing something, do you sense that God is pleased with what you're doing because you're embracing who you are, whatever that is. And again, the way we measure things externally and all of that, you can throw that out the window. But when you're in the zone, whatever that may be, and you're doing it, and it's who God's made you to be, do you feel God's pleasure? And I think... There are probably opportunities out there. You're probably doing it already, and you just don't slow down to realize that when you're moving in that direction, when you're being who you are, when you're enjoying life, God is pleased with watching how you do that. We might lift up an Olympic athlete and go, wow, look at them run. They you know, like, run like a gazelle, like a cheetah, you know, whatever you want to say. Isn't that this just, that's perfection and all this kind of stuff. And you go, I don't do anything like that. I, I tend to disagree with that. There are things in your life, the way you cook, the way you make something, the way you stoop down and engage with a little child and just make them feel the center of the universe, uh, the way you fix a car, uh, the way you think, whatever that is. I think all of us have these moments where, where God is looking down at our lives and we're being who he's made us to be. And he's pleased with it. He's enjoyed. It's like when you have a child or someone you, you really have kind of mentored or watched their life, watch them, and they're like running the best race of their life when they're, when they're doing something, when they've made something. Uh, you, just, you just feel pleasure. E even some of those school projects 
or you remember those, and they, they, they really don't actually look that great, but uh, you watch how your, your child or the child that you value has just put this all together and how they've come to all these conclusions, and you just take pleasure in watching them that do that. God does the same for us. In your notes, there's a, there's a number of places to look at, and we're not going to take the time to look at this, just this whole idea of enjoying life, engaging in life, uh, watching over life, and all of this. Uh, the last one here is expect life, and not in a fatalistic way, but in a realistic way. As we get to the end, and we're going we're gonna to move through this pretty quickly, expect life, expect uncertainty, Expect that unfairness. Expect that things don't go right. Expect that. Not with a fatalistic chip on your shoulder, but just be realistic. I, I was out on a bike ride, and this seems like minor stuff to you yesterday, and I got about two miles out, and I could feel something was wrong with my rear tire, and I just had it fixed. And all of a sudden, I realized I was losing air. And, uh, man, I, I was like... They push too many buttons in my heart. I'm like, I'm mad. I want to pick my bike up, throw, go to the, you know, go fix it and go, what did you do? You know, you know, you know, I just was, that happens. You get flat tires. Chill out, Dave. Don't worry about it. Fortunately, Cindy was home so she could pick me up. So, um, but you know, uh, you know, you know, expect minor things and larger things. Be realistic, but not fatalistic. Understand that my abilities are no guarantee of success. There are people that have all the abilities, the mind for something, the skill for something, and it just doesn't work out. You know those people. You've been that person at times. You've done everything right. It should have been a sure thing, but it's, it's not a sure thing. This talks about abilities, and, 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 and I've seen something under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle is to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and, t- time and chance happen to them all. In other words, you can have your ducks all lined up in order, and it just gets blown apart. So be realistic. Not fatalistic, but be realistic. Expect life. That will happen. That will happen. Um, Also, understand this idea. We'll jump right down to this. Next one I want to talk about is this. uh, My wins are no guarantees of appreciation. Hate to say this. Your wins, your successes, are no guarantees of appreciation. Solomon tells the story of this wise, poor man who saves the city, and as soon as he saves the city, they totally forget about him. Have you ever had a situation where you saved the day, you did something right, it was a win, but there was no appreciation? And if we're not careful, that can suck the joy out of our life. Expect that to happen. Expect it to happen. Don't let that throw you. You know, in one of the hardest places to serve, one of the hardest places in a church. You know, they say that uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. People can do things, do things, do things. There's a little story, I think I have time to tell you, a little story of a man uh, was uh, at the post office 
and he was an older man who was having trouble addressing the little postcard he wanted to send and having trouble writing. And the guy at the, at the counter said, hey, can I help you with that, sir? And the guy said, sure, that, that's, that's great. And uh, so he addresses it, and the guy goes, do you mind writing a little thing in there? Yes, and he writes that. And, and then finally the guy doing this for this older gentleman says, is there anything else I can do for you? Because actually, the, the, the fact that he offered that, could you write a P.S.? He goes, sure, I can write a P.S. P.S. Okay, what would you like me to say? Please excuse the messiness of the handwriting. <laughs> no appreciation. You can share your own story. Happens in church world, happens in every world. Your wins, your successes are no guarantees of appreciation. Don't let that rock your world too much. Don't let it. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Oh, we're going to move right along here. Also, realize that my works are not guaranteed to stand. My works are not guaranteed to stand. The quiet words of the wise men are more to be heeded than the shouts of the ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. I tried to think of this. I, I don't really think of a, a fly smelling, but uh, I, guess they, I guess if you could have a collection of flies. No, you don't need to help me with that, but uh, I guess if you had a pile of flies, it wouldn't smell good. But, but I do know, I do know I've gotten food before and had like a little fly or a bug in it. And that like ruins the whole meal. It just uh, ruins it. Uh, it's like a hair and something. It just ruins it. And, and actually, I was at this place. I'm not going to tell you where it was. And there was like this little fruit fly like flying around in my salad. And it just wouldn't get like away. I'm trying to swat it away. It was like living in there, I think. And, and it was a certain kind of salad. And uh, I... I, I you're going to say, this is really gross. I kind of like pushed it aside, still ate it because, you know, I paid for it. You know, one little fly's not going to stop me. But, uh, you know, but it's still kind of in my stomach. It's kind of like a little sour as I'm doing, eating this thing. And uh, then what's funny is there was a certain kind of salad. I went to another restaurant where they make the same kind of salad, but it's a different restaurant. And my stomach still is a little queasy. I'm like, I don't know if I want to get that salad again. It's just because I, I connect that with that. And, uh, you know, one little thing can ruin it. And realize that things can, can ruin our work. Someone, some one unkind person can like undo all that we've done. And we just have to, we have to, we have to get that. Some of you have, have retired from a place and you were investing your life and you had everything set up and set up in a certain way. And then all of a sudden someone else comes in and kind of undid what you did. And, and, and all those, those, those good things are like gone. It almost doesn't matter that you were there. And if, you don't, if you're not careful, you can let that steal your enjoyment of life. You see, we need to do everything you can with all that you have for as long as you have. This idea of embracing life. Uh, you've probably heard this little phrase, and it's not in your notes, the important over the urgent, understanding that getting to that place, this idea of embracing life. Bottom line for uh, this morning is this, trust the certainty of God in the uncertainty of life. So you have all this uncertainty, you have all this craziness going on, 
It affects the ability to enjoy life. We can respond to it a certain way or we can embrace life. We can embrace the good things. We can hold on to that and lean into the certainty of God. What's wonderful is God remembers. God will shake all that out in the next chapter of life. And sometimes that's all we can hold on to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for just the honesty of Solomon. We ask that you would help us as we try to digest uh, the uncertainty of our world, and we ask that you would help us not to let the uncertainty rob us of joy, rob us of enjoying the good moments that we do have. Help us to be able to lean into you and realize that you are certain even though our world is uncertain. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.